everyone. I'm Victoria and this is the Happy Henry's Woof You podcast, where we get to find out a little bit about the people around us who work with, play with or know something about dogs. From the benign to the bizarre, I want to talk to anyone about anything dog related and share stories or useful information that will not just inform, but also entertain and possibly inspire you. Happy Henry's is a safe space for all dogs and their owners and takes a more holistic approach to dog grooming, combining consent-based grooming, games-based training and owner education all in one place. So if you have a dog that struggles with being groomed and handled, or just life in general, we'd love to help you. Today's episode is going to be amazing. I can feel it already. I reached out to my guest after seeing her participate in a webinar I needed to watch as part of my Taking the Grrr Out of Dog Grooming Approved Groomer Certification. I wasn't really expecting her to respond. I mean, why would she? Me, someone who many feel is away with the fairies most of the time with the way I want to work with dogs, and she, someone who's taught zoo animals, like lions, tigers, and bears. Well, I'm actually not sure about bears, but you get the drift. And they choose to be handled when required. Anyway, she promptly wrote back and said yes. I'd love to join you on the Woof You podcast. So here we are right now. Zara Jackson began her animal training career in 2008 when she started in a voluntary position at a local zoo in their sea lion and penguin section. Zara moved onto a full-time position as a sea lion trainer and was hooked on the science and art of animal training. After six years, Zara moved off the, line, the sea lion section to set up and supervise animal training programs for other species across the zoo, including large carnivores, small mammals and birds. Having seen the welfare benefits for sea lions, she was keen for other species to benefit from training for cooperative care too. In 2015, Zara adopted an adolescent German shepherd dog who had many behavioural issues. issues. I need to put my false teeth back in. Leash reactivity to other dogs and a fear of bathing and grooming being the main concerns. During the COVID-19 lockdown, Zara spent a few months working in a grooming salon in Devon whilst the salon was undertaking welfare grooms. In 2021, Zara opened her dog training business, Tarka Dog Training, based in Devon. She specialises in working with reactive dogs and dogs with a fear of grooming and vet visits. In 2022, Zara graduated from the Karen Pryor Academy Dog Trainer Professional Programme and is now an animal training instructor with the ABTC, Animal Behaviour and Training Council. Zara holds an FDSC foundation degree in animal conservation with behavioural ecology and animal behaviour and a diploma in animal behaviour to top it all off. Hello, Zara. Hello, lovely to meet you. Thank you for having me on. Oh my gosh, thank you for joining me today. Um, it was, I honestly was very excited when I got your message to say, yes, let's do it. <laughs> let's go for it. Let's go for it. So after that, introduction um first of all 
let's if can you tell me so that our listeners can understand and many of them are guardians um dog guardians as opposed to in the profession what is cooperative care okay so cooperative care is where an animal might so in the zoo we would call it husbandry training um but in the dog world it's uh, more commonly referred to as cooperative care and that means the animal cooperates in its own care so essential care things are like your grooming so that might include nail trimming brushing the dog bathing the dog checking its teeth cleaning teeth any of those things where we have to handle the animal um groom them take care of them and it may also include where the vet needs to handle your dog um, to examine them um, and if we can do that in a way where the animal is cooperative rather than trying to escape or avoid or even aggress towards you um, then we would call that cooperative care and we can use training to help facilitate that and make it far less stressful for our dogs and way less stressful for us too. And you started with uh, training when we're talking about training zoo animals, but I suppose we should point out that nowadays we're not talking about trick training, are we? Can you talk a little bit about some of the benefits that have actually come out of or since those days when parrots yeah. cycled bicycles? Yeah, absolutely. And don't get me wrong, some parrots really enjoy it. Um, but you can train these tricks using positive reinforcement training. Um, but what we came to realise is that, um, so, you know, that's where the industry kind of started, is that zoos wanted to sh have shows. And it was usually your birds, parrots, birds of prey, and your marine mammals, your sea lions, dolphins and whales, etc. So they were all um, taking part in lots of training every day. Um, training that's enjoyable, positive reinforcement. Um, and yes, that was for display behaviours initially. However, in order to have these really good displays and shows, you need to have happy, healthy animals. Um, and part of their care, it has to be cooperative with these guys. So whereas we can get away with taking a little Jack the Jack Russell into the vets and holding him still for a while, we would not get away with that with a big sea lion. Not sure um, so Jack we, lets you get away with it all the time either. Not always, no, no, but we, we do, we get away with it. Our dogs are very forgiving. <laughs> so we can get away with an awful lot with our domestic animals, but in the zoos, um, we use the same training that you would use to shape a fancy show behaviour or a trick. And we'd use that same training to teach them to hold still for an x-ray, to hold still for eye drops, to open their mouths so that we could check their teeth. Um, to move from one exhibit to another or to go into a crate or step onto scales. There's lots of different things we can teach them. And it's all done through positive reinforcement training um, and at a rate that the animal's still enjoying it. Um, and um, we fade in those the scary bits very slowly so that our animals are always choosing to participate in that. And the webinar that I watched, um, you gave examples not just of your work but other people working with um large wild animals um there were things like the blood draws that you used to do with the sea lions um and also tigers and i think it was a hyena as well or a coyote um hyena. yeah that's a great video and they, they actually choose to do that so as we haven't got a video which i am going to ask you if we've got any examples we can guide people to later but if you can just give a visual of 
for, let's use that hyena one for an example. Um, mm. I'd love to go through what what are the simple, obviously it requires lots of steps, but how do you get them to do what they do? And then the tiger giving a blood draw with its paw, that was another one that completely blew my mind. So let's start with the hyena. Yeah, so the hyena, um, I would have, so I didn't do this training myself. This was from another zoological collection. Um, but the animal was trained. So it's all protected contact, first of all. We are not going in with lions, tigers and hyenas. They are dangerous wild animals and should be respected as such. So protected contact training is where there is a barrier between the animal and the person. So that's for the person's safety because we are working with dangerous wild animals, big carnivores. But it also allows the animal a lot more choice. So if the animal doesn't want to participate in that training session, they can just leave and go into another part of their exhibit. There's nothing to force them to be in that particular area of their enclosure wall or fence there. So Um, so how do we get them, right? How do we get them there? How do we get them to choose to come to us? And have a needle stuck in them. And have a needle stuck in them, yeah. Not a very nice thing. Um, yeah, I remember not particularly enjoying having injections myself. So, so yeah, it's, uh, they, they're trained to come up to the fence and to begin with, can the animal take food near the fence? Because that would be your priority, your sorry, primary reinforcer is a food reward. Now, these animals are getting a certain amount of meat per day, so we're not withholding food for not joining in. They're going to get the same amount of meat per day. So can we feed them up near the fence? Um, Now, I would be starting with uh, some form of targeting behaviour where the animal touches a part of its body to a target. So we would use target sticks with large carnivores to keep our hands safe. Um, And then we might select for the animal's neck coming up near the fence. So in that particular video, the hyena was pushing the side of his neck where the jugular vein runs right up against the fence. And he was pushing into the fence. Now, before you start getting needles out, we need to know that the animal's really comfortable and can hold that position with some duration. We might start adding some poking and some prodding in there as well with just our hands. Um, Your next stage might be just having the equipment around, because as soon as you change something in the environment, it can change how the animal behaves and responds. So we might start with just a tray of empty syringes by the side while we do the poking and the prodding and the rewarding. Then we'd start to use an empty syringe that doesn't have anything on the end of it. So can the animal tolerate me just touching their neck with that? We're going to build in all the different aspects. So We're not going to go straight in there. Okay, you can touch the fence. I'm going to jab a needle in you now because it's all going to go downhill very quickly if we rush into things like that. So so we'd be gradually building up the pressure. Do I need to hold onto the vein with a finger to allow the blood to pull to find the vein first? All these little tiny bits need to be factored into our training. So we want duration on the target of the target body part. So with the lions that I trained, um, it was actually the tail that we were targeting. So they were trained to target their light to their side parallel to the fence. And we had a small gap under the fence. And then we faded in a snake hook. So can you lie there calm while this snake hook's hanging around your back end? Okay, right. can I touch your tail with the snake hook? Okay, cool. Well, can I move your tail slightly? And you build up to the point that I can just hook the tail out and bring it to the other end of the fence so that we can start to search for blood vessels, manipulate the tail and teach the animal to tolerate varying levels of poking and prodding before we start getting syringes and needles out oh my gosh it's it is so if people want to 
Is there a, a um, or if you can share with me some places? Are is there a great YouTube place? Do you have links that people can actually go and see this awesomeness? Because it blew my mind when I saw it. Yes, and there's lots of examples now on YouTube. So if you are to search on YouTube, um, hyena voluntary um, blood draw behaviour, that will come up. There's some great ones with polar bears, with tigers. Um, So, yeah, certainly YouTube is is full of um, some great resources there. So if you just type in voluntary blood draw training, there are also some great examples of dogs doing voluntary blood draws on there too which and, is what I'm working on with my shepherd now. Right. So that was my moving on to that. Um, you went into, you moved away from the zoo animals and you moved into dog training. And why that shift um, at the time that you did it? What changed in your world? Uh, lots of things changed. Um, so I became a mum. <laughs> so that was that was one aspect as well. Um, but I adopted my dog, Bob, and he had all these big challenges. Um, and I had trained some really, really cool behaviours and really useful behaviours in the zoo. So we had sea lions that could open their mouth on cue, that would voluntarily take medication, um, that could lay dead still for examinations, um, that could have eye drops put in, and they lay completely still for it. Um, but I had this dog who was completely bananas on walks I couldn't get him in the bath he was growling at me if I tried to brush him Uh, it was just and I was like oh my goodness I'm a professional animal trainer and my dog is an actual nightmare (laughs) um (laughs) I but isn't that always I mean I got into what I do because I have a dog that is very similar or used to be he's so much more improved but it's got to be on his terms because it's any sign of of making him do it. it it's not happening it's just not happening and it, and it spoils a relationship so um and and a lot of people say to me well hold on a minute if you do dog training how come your dog is not exactly <laughs> the most perfect well-trained dog and I think I feel what does that look that, like? Yeah, but um. that's, that one is what's perfect for me, and two, he's my. I teach. I class him and Stanley, my other one, as my teachers. Oh yeah, they all. So I have their problems, and then can go out and find solutions yeah. for other people after I find solutions Absolutely. for myself. So when I was working through, yeah, working through Bob's issues, and then suddenly you start observing people out with their dogs, and you think oh my gosh, there's just not enough help for, for people that are struggling with these like reactivity issues. Um, and then when I worked in the grooming salon, that was a real eye-opener. I really enjoyed my time there and I learned loads about um, the amazing work that groomers are doing and the skills that they need to have um, to take care of our dogs and specific coats and the knowledge they have. Um, but so many dogs are really, really stressed out in that environment. Um, and I can see the difficulties now for the groomers, for the dogs, for the owners, it's yes, yeah, tricky. It's tricky. It, it's it it is, and I think that it it's. I started out with doing the games based training, but I wasn't actively training apart from Henry, and then I started the self service dog wash and used those games, and they seemed to have an effect on the nervous dogs that came in. 
And and then it, it grew from then I went to learn to be a groomer only because I wanted to help more dogs yeah. that were getting fired from other groomers or or they were just it just wasn't a a, a right environment for them. Yeah. Um and and now I am now studying behavior because it's fascinating, as you say, yeah. that you you see that change. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is the most rewarding thing when you see a dog actually get it. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, um, you said about choice before and choice is a reinforcer. And when we remove choices, that's when the panic can set in. Um, and I always refer back to, so one of, I would c consider myself to have a phobia of the dentist, um, at which point it used to be bad enough to require a sedative to get me any dental work done um and i i do relate to the dogs that are they're freaking out in the vets because i was freaking out um and i'm being sort of restrained or i'm not restrained physically but i am feeling restrained in this chair i'm feeling like my behavioral choices have been taken away um you've got someone leaning over you different smells the drill noises oh, oh yeah <laughs> it's just really really unpleasant um and I, I've overcome this phobia now, so I, I do go to the dentist without sedatives now. Um, but I, I can appreciate how how that would be for, for dogs going into vets. We can't tell them that no one's going to hurt you. We need to get this done. They don't understand. Um, but we can help them to feel better by offering choice. So teaching things like start buttons, listening to their body language, giving them regular breaks, watching. A lot of it is monitoring that body language constantly um, and, and going at the dog's pace. Now you're you're just you're not you're not grooming now, are you? You're doing dog no. training, but you work with guardians um, on helping their dogs with that process. So, what sort of things or exercises are you including in your training sessions with clients with regards to handling and grooming? Now that you know both sides, yeah. So I, I do I do try and incorporate choice into my training. So with my German Shepherd, for example, and I have I, I can direct you to my um cooperative care youtube channel so he's trained to rest his uh, many people might have already heard of the chin rest behavior so he'll rest his chin uh, he gets recurring ear infections so it's really important to me to have a very good cooperative and um and voluntary ear drops and ear medication that was really important to me because i knew this was going to be uh, not just a one-off needing ear drops this was going to be he's going to need his ears washing regularly um, but because he'd had quite nasty infections and a lot of pain there, it took a long time. So I had to give him a way to say no, stop without biting me. <laughs> so <laughs> for me and the dentist, that might be me raising my hand saying, oh, pause, I need a break. So if I can raise my hand and get the dentist to stop a minute, that's going to prevent me from punching him, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> so if I get my dog to rest his hand nice and still and building up slowly, can you tolerate me touching your ear or wriggling a finger? around by your nose, hands moving around your head and then touching, manipulating the ear before I even get bottles and drops out. Um, now, any time he takes his head out of my chin, so his, if, when his, sorry, his chin comes out of my hand, that's my cue to stop. And I have to listen to that because it's built on trust. If I start trying to hold him there, I'm going to poison the whole thing and ruin it. So if he breaks from that chin rest, that's his way of saying, well, okay, just need a minute. And I'll give him a minute and he can still get a reinforcer. 
he can still have a treat on the floor and more often than not he chooses to come back and then I'll do a couple of easy repetitions for him and then and then we'll try again the next time but we're building up nice and slowly so a chin rest is a nice behavior to teach um, it's not too complicated for people to teach either and people are amazed at how quickly their dogs learn these learn these behaviors but sometimes how do you deal with the the it takes time and patience yeah. and a lot of short repetitive repetitions um how do you get your training clients um shift to that um mindset because from a groomer's point of view it can be difficult that they someone wants to get their dog groomed, which is understandable, and they need it done quickly. Yeah, and sometimes they do need doing, don't they? Sometimes yeah. it just needs to get done. Um, so there is a, a fine line. So how do you just encourage people to get more involved with husbandry? So when I was doing puppy classes, I always used to sneak some of this in there. <laughs> I always used to do a bit of positive handling, always make it worth your while for your dog tolerate. Never take for granted that your dog allows you to touch it. So if you're touching the ears, um, and I would be doing it away from away from the vets and in different locations, try doing it in a car park somewhere or, or on exactly. your walk. Exactly, yes. In the yes. car, somewhere where your dog's already happy and calm. And make it worth their while, pay them. Keep the sessions really, really short as well. So to begin with, we don't want to be doing 20 minutes of, A, I haven't got time for that. B, the dogs don't want to do it for 20 minutes. So keeping those sessions nice and short. Um, so if I'm asking a client to do um, 20 minutes of training every day, it's unlikely they're actually going to do it. So I'm going to tell them, set your timer for a minute and a half, fish, bash, bosh, done, or just take 10 small pieces of treat and then done. And we're going to do that once a day. So the, the simpler we can make it for them, the more likely it is that they're going to be able to be consistent. Absolutely. If we can build it into an existing habit. Mm. I mean, I always tell my clients, I'm waiting for the kettle to boil in the morning when I make my cup of tea. So why not use that 30 seconds, one minute, two minute, whatever the dog will engage with and Maybe just even get handsy with your dog and find out if they've got any knots that we need to address. Yeah. Um, and then you can go back to it at a later stage. But I think the key is the short sessions end on a high note. Yeah. And then the dog is more likely to come back for more. Um, so, yeah, there's yeah, a saying um, a, an animal that can leave is more likely to stay. So, giving them that option to choose to say no. Sometimes if they are licking their lips a lot or they are doing lots of head turns or their eyes are getting wide, reading that behavior and going, OK, not today, pal, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what sort of tools? Um, first of all, we in grooming, there are a lot of tools that we use. Do you use any tools in your dog training sessions or do you are you more preparing for the situation with assimilating them or things that I noticed one of your sea lions had um, the oxygen mask on yes. his face. So in dog training and dog grooming, I always teach muzzle training with a fern or either a yogurt pot or a cone yes. to start with. Absolutely. So, yeah, so um, actually the, my last uh, cooperative care client, um, the dog didn't like being brushed. 
he did get knots. So he already had an association with the brush equals I get held and it's tugging me and I don't like it and it hurts and I don't like it. So we taught him to accept brushing with a knot brush. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we started off with something, one of his toys. Um, can, uh, can we stroke the remote control down his body? So things like that. Um, so if you, if you can't tolerate a knot brush, he's not going to tolerate the brush. Um, and typically by the time people realise there is a problem and their dogs aren't tolerating grooming, they already have a learning history of, um, you know, not of a, it being aversive, basically. Um, and typically they've learned to use their behaviour to get the brush to go away. Yes. So we don't want them to practice that, right? No. Um, so I have found that um, something as simple as just changing the picture, I, um, someone started with me last week and I said, okay, bring me all your tools that you use, but don't show them to me in front of the dog. So I could see what they were using. And then I literally, every tool that I introduced to that dog was not even like they're not the same color, not not the same brush or anything. And it, it seems to be that sometimes if we just change the actual tool, we can gradually move away from that fear. Yeah. Yeah. Ch changing, changing the tool, changing the context. So where does the dog normally get brushed? Where's that learning history already happened? Is it the front room? Is it the grooming salon? So let's go somewhere where the dog has no history of this whatsoever. Um, and we'll introduce it gradually. We can even reward the dog for looking at the thing. So can can you look at this? Can I move it closer to you? So let's not rush in there with, and it does feel slow sometimes and people, um, yeah, it, it can feel slow, but actually sometimes slow and steady wins the race. When you take Bob to the vets, does he have a yoga block to stand on? No, he doesn't. <laughs> I, I, so I, I use a yoga block um, and, yeah. and that's how Henry grounds himself yeah. um, and is able to actually have things done to him. Um, yeah, great. My vet thinks, so my vet button, thinks like, oh, here she comes again. Here she comes again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if you can teach a behaviour like stationing on something. So for Bob, I have a portable station. I've got my middle where he comes up and sits between my legs and we've got his chin rest. And therefore, I take them with me. You could train your dog to sit on or lie on a mat and build so much value with that mat or that yoga block mm -hmm. or that thing that you can take anywhere with you. And if you've got enough reinforcement history in the bank with that thing, it can ease them into the vets and ease them into that situation. Oh, oh OK, this is all scary, but I've got my thing that I really like here and I know what to do on this. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a it's like a superhero. Yeah, like, like I've like got this. I know this yeah. one. <laughs> So you mentioned you're working, you were working with Bob on dental care and descaling yeah. in that video yeah. that I watched. How's that going? It's going great. Do you know, it was harder to train him to open his mouth on cue than it was a lion or a sea lion. That was the question. <laughs> that, that, that literally is where I'm like, is it working with dogs more tricky than working with these wild animals? Well, it, I, it, all the animals are so, I've, worked with, I've been so fortunate to work with so many different species and you learn something from each one. And then my dog isn't the same as the Cocker Spaniel that I was working with. They're all so different. Their learning histories are different. Their breed traits and just, and their personalities, it's all so different. Um, but yeah, the, the method I used or sort of the training plan I had for sea lions that worked with my lions didn't work with my German Shepherd. 
Um, so we had to we had to change it up a little bit, but but we we did get there and we started to build duration quite quickly. When I finally, you know, when it when it clicked, oh, that, why didn't you just say? <laughs> That's I know. What you wanted. If only they could talk. If only they yeah. could talk. And actually, the more you do with them, the more they they understand the game. So because Bob is a and he is clicker trained, um, so we, we do use markers with him. So he understands the game really well. And once you've built duration on other behaviours, so if you've already got a sit with a good duration, or a down with duration, you know they they do start to learn. Oh, we do this game. Oh, and now I have to sit for longer. And yeah, they do start to understand the game. And I think we just have to keep topping it up, even though yeah. even though they know it. Let's keep on doing it so yeah so don't wait till you need it <laughs> yes let's prepare yeah. for it but i had a new client in the other day and um it was working with a dog that and i said okay we're going to work on them thinking about i'm going to the goal of the game is that i am going to do something that is potentially scary um and you're going to get rewarded for it. Um, but let's start with where does your dog love being stroked kind of thing? Um, maybe on the shoulder. Well, yeah, but they have no problem with that. I'm like, okay, perfect. That's great. Because if we start doing that on something that they love, we can transfer that skill, as you're saying, with yeah. building duration with something that they already enjoy and creating um, a framework that makes it a safe way to do it. Um, but yeah, what are your top tips for guardians when it comes to being successful at cooperative care or just helping their dogs in general? Okay, yeah. So I, if, I, if I ever do have to do something that the dog doesn't like, for example, he's collected some nature in his fur. And if I ever have to just get that help, I will always compensate him for that. I had to pick something out of his tail. So I, and I'll compensate. I'll make it. Thanks for letting me do that, buddy. Here, have some, have a little scatter of treats on the floor. Um, <laughs> I, I do like to incorporate things like lick mats in, into these trainings. They, they are a great tool. Some dogs are so, so stressed that they can't eat in these situations. So it doesn't yes. work for every dog. But I do find them, it helped me with Bob. Um, and we would get the ones that you stick in the side of the bath. <laughs> So yes, we yeah, love those. there's lots of little. I sell a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, they 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 are brilliant. We do like a lick mat here. Um, so he does get some special stuff on the lick mat if it, if I do have to bath him. So, um, so it's definitely worth investing in things like the snuffle mats and lick mats, um, creating calm in that environment. Um, my third tip would be slow and steady. Yeah, slow and steady wins the race. So get to know your dog's body language. Give them think of something a way that they can say no. So if you start seeing an increase in lip licking or a poor lift, maybe might just be a poor lift. That's his way of saying no. And if you back off every time you see that behavior, you've given that animal a way to say no without escalating to growling or snapping or running away. So giving them a way to say no um, means they are more likely to say yes. Um, number four, um, so, yeah, investing a little bit of time, just a minute or two uh, into teaching something, teaching a cooperative care behavior, such as the chin rest or some kind of start button um, that might be go to standing on a mat or a platform or your yoga block. So teaching something that the dog can build value with that you can then take 
Um, once you have heaps of value with it, you can take it to places like the vet surgery. Um, be generous with the treats. Um, again, if you go slowly enough, then they should be able to take treats. But every dog is different. And in extreme cases, when you're really anxious, you're not going to want to eat. So just be, just being aware, being aware of that. <laughs> no, but toys sometimes work, though, as well, right? You can reward with a toy. Yeah. yeah. Balls, I found, seem to work yeah, great. Yeah, it's about, my dog's not very toy-oriented, actually, but um, I've worked with some Spaniels and Collies, and and actually they would prefer a, a ball, yeah, over, over the food. So it's, it's knowing what your dog, yeah. what your, mm. what's your dog willing to work for, um, giving them a way to say no at the same time. So Now, finally, if you were a dog, what kind Ooh. of dog would you be? What breed and why? I think I'd be a Spaniel. <laughs> Because I can be a bit busy and a bit fidgety um, and I like getting stuck into something. So I think I would be a Spaniel and I'm a bit scruffy. <laughs> okay. If listeners want to find out more about you, are you in Devon? Yeah, I'm moment? in North, North You're still Devon. still in Devon? Yeah. Okay. So if people want to find about you, what you do and what you've done in the mm. past, where can they go to? Okay, so I, I do have a Facebook page, um, Tarka Dog Training. And you can find me on Facebook there. So I do try and... Uh, uh, stick out some content um, as often as I, I can remember. <laughs> and um, my website is www.tarkadogtraining.co.uk. And I have a blog on there, which I'm adding to all the time. Um, and there's an about me section on there as well. Perfect. And do you do any sort of consults via Zoom or anything? Yes, I'm starting to get the hang of Zoom now. So I will be offering some. And again, cooperative care, it's, it's the kind of thing you can do through Zoom quite easily. So Absolutely. More often than not, it's better to exactly. do it remotely because the dog doesn't want the stranger near them anyway. Yeah, exactly. It takes the pressure off as well. Yeah. And I can demo with my own dog as well. So yeah, Zoom is perfect for cooperative care training. Well, listen, I wish we had more time, but thank you so much. I think that if you can do it with a, a large animal that weighs hundreds of pounds then we should be able to figure it out for our dogs right absolutely yeah they deserve it hey <laughs> yes they do well thank you very much Sarah again um thank you to you listeners for joining me for this episode of the happy henry's woof you podcast woof you is hosted and produced by me victoria shepherd find the woof you podcast on apple podcasts and the happy henry's website happy-henrys.co.uk where you can stream and download episodes as many times as you like. I think Google Play is about to end so I'm not sure what's happening there um, but please do subscribe, review and rate until your fingers and paws fall off. The only way I'm going to improve what I do for you is to get your feedback. If you have any questions or suggestions for future topics or discussions or people I can meet from anywhere reach out to me through the website or our Facebook page and Instagram at Happy Henry's Dog Wash. Thanks again, and I'll be back in a few months, few weeks, with who knows.